Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, it's time once again for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and general coolness of some very cool plant people to figure out why they do what they do and what keeps them coming back for more. I'm Vic Rumbaliga, your host and your humble guide in this journey through the sciences. And as always, my friends, I am so excited to be with you today. Hey, we've got a really cool one today. Um, I got the opportunity to interview the new dean of our college, Dr. Clint Crable, about his experience, about how his field of animal science and ruminant nutrition and uh, everything else that goes into keeping healthy healthy livestock and animals factors into plant science and agriculture as a whole. It was a really fascinating and enlightening conversation about the intersections between the things that we do. I'm very much not an animal guy, and he admittedly is an amateur and learning plant guy, and uh, it was just really interesting to find the meeting between those two fields. We also talked about uh, the future of agriculture and the directions that um, the Davis College here at Texas Tech University is going to go. And it was really cool because he is a busy guy. He's leading a whole college of several departments and hundreds of people. And he gave up an hour and a half of one of his afternoons to come talk with me. So I'm really excited for you to hear this. Um, It's going to be such a good episode. And again, I'm glad you're with me. So get ready for episode 96 of the Planthropology Podcast with Dr. Clint Craven. Well, Dr. Crable, thanks so much for coming in today. It's uh, nice getting to spend a little more time chatting with you and, and having you on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here, Bikram, and really appreciate the opportunity. When you toured me through this facility, however long ago that's been, a month and a half, I was very impressed. A lot of great things going on here. Obviously, very student-centric, and so appreciate the opportunity, and I'm excited to visit. Well, absolutely, and I appreciate the kind words. We, uh, we try to be as student-centered here as we can, and uh, you know, we're just getting ready for spring, so it'll start changing a lot out here over the next few sure. weeks. But yeah, um, it's it's greening up, or it's going to start greening up very soon. So it yeah. isn't, and, and you know, the trees are finally coming back. We don't yeah. have a lot of color yeah. out there yet, but it's nice at least seeing some green on campus. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, you know, where'd you study? Where'd you? What did you study in school? Sure. How did kind of how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I'm I'm a small town, rural community kid from central Kansas, grew up around McPherson, went to high school in the little town of, of Mound Ridge. So diversified farm, and so we were really about agriculture and, and education. My dad farmed, so relative to flat landscapes, <laughs> as, as we see here, I'm very familiar with that in central Kansas, so. Dryland farm, and so we we farm milo or grain sorghum okay. and, and predominantly wheat, and then evolved over time into a cow calf operation. Of course, growing up, being born in the late sixties and and raised to the seventies and early eighties, there agriculture really changed during that time period, and so started out on a very diversified farm with a lot of crops and a lot of livestock. Uh, and ultimately, pretty much wound down to to wheat and milo, uh, corn and beans occasionally when it worked, but mm-hmm. but then uh, cow calf operation and and my dad managed a ranch, 
my mom, I'm not first gen, but my mom and I were essentially in school together. So she, oh, went, wow. I was the youngest of four. And when uh, she felt like I could be on my own without killing myself, hurting <laughs> myself, uh, she she went back to school and got her degree in English and German and some German descent. She taught uh, English and German and coached forensics at the high school level. Oh wow! So I had a had a great career. So that was it was uh, very informative. Uh, very fortunate to have the upbringing that I did. Mom, uh, you know, we were didn't come from a from great wealth or a lot of means by any stretch of imagination, and so my mom always gardened. Mm. Uh, speaking to what your interests are, and so yeah, some of the the fondest memories are working alongside her. Less fond memories: digging potatoes <laughs> uh, or picking picking green beans, sure. snapping green beans. Uh, but uh, we were we were very self sustaining during. During my informative early years, and mm-hmm. so uh, really, really appreciative of my upbringing, had a had a chance, and and my dad being involved in that ranch, which is a purebred Semental operation, just had an opportunity to interact with uh, folks from K State, with a lot of other Kansas State, a lot of other producers as well, and so you know just early interactions with education. Of course, my mom going to college mm-hmm. at that time as well. Opened my eyes and, and opened some doors for me going forward. I was, as a lot of our students in animal science, I judged livestock. And so went to a community college first, Hutchison Community College. Okay. Um, again, it wasn't very far from home. I could stay engaged uh, at home and get home uh, and and still uh, get an education. Then I, and I judged livestock at Hutchison Community College and, and then off to, to Kansas State for a bachelor's. Really had no idea what graduate school was right. when I first went to school, like many many of our students don't. And uh, so opportunities, connections, again, just so critically important. And I every every chance I get in front of a crowd of students, I I tell them that networking is critical and paying attention to who you're around. But had a really good nutrition professor even at the community college level, it really mm-hmm. inspired me and, and got me interested in nutrition, which is my ultimate field. Okay. Um, and, and then uh, at Kansas State, my, my undergrad advisor was a reproductive physiologist, but obviously excited about research, engaged me early on in his lab, and so really taught me what research was all about and opened, again, opened my eyes and opened some doors. And even though I wasn't interested in reproductive physiology, he made the connection sure. with my master's advisor. And uh, so got uh, got introduced to graduate school and jumped in right after a bachelor's into a master's program and, and finished up there. So, okay. PhD, um, my wife and I, um, Kind of took a road trip. The uh, the animal science or national meetings are always in the summer, and they mm-hmm. were in Lexington, Kentucky, when I was finishing up my master's. So we just took a road trip, and we stopped at Nebraska. We stopped at Iowa State. Stopped at Purdue. Of course, we were at Kentucky um, and Illinois, University of mm-hmm. Illinois. And so really, really made some good connections there, but ultimately decided to uh, stay a little closer to home, but also – a really, really great scientist as a PhD mentor in nutritional biochemistry, and so okay. went to Nebraska for a PhD. So that was that was uh, really informative uh, as well. Great experience and great opportunity for me. 
from a teaching perspective, uh, sadly, my my PhD advisor got pancreatic cancer when oh, I no. was there and passed away. But Britton was his name. Just a just a brilliant brilliant scientist. Really frustrated me because you know he always just give you barely uh, enough rope where <laughs> you could you could land on your feet. But yeah. we we're always pushing the boundaries. But uh, just a, a brilliant mind, remembered everything he read, every journal article he read. Uh, it was it was always right right in his head. So if you asked him about a specific topic or a research area you might be interested in, he'd say, well, you ought to look at in this journal at these page numbers with these offers, mm-hmm. uh, authors from this school. <laughs> and you said, there's no way that can be right. And you'd go look and wow. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just uh, just a brilliant mind. So uh, opportunity to do a postdoc with ARS at the Meat Animal Research Center in Clay Center, Nebraska. So they're they're basically a, a uh, the federal government agricultural research mm-hmm. service largest animal agriculture facility, certainly in the nation, probably in the world. And so, again, had a connection there that I'd met during a PhD, an mm-hmm. opportunity to do a postdoc, and um, then on to to New Mexico State. So my first faculty job was was in Las Cruces, New oh, Mexico okay. State University. Also, tell that story a lot for Shelley and I, my wife and I. Mm-hmm. Just an amazing opportunity because we we grew up in the Midwest, sure. we were very isolated in that culture. Um, not, not a ton of exposure to mm-hmm. diversity, uh, other than what you might get at a, at a university, K-State, Nebraska. So living in Las Cruces was just amazing yeah. for us because, uh, again, uh, as is, is Lubbock, huge Hispanic population, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the language, my wife works in the medical field and, and so, you know, a lot of primary language was Spanish. And so it just, it was just very eye opening to us from a cultural perspective, a diversity and inclusion perspective, but also, um, just agriculture in general and landscapes, yeah. you know, thinking about cow calf units or animal units on, on grazing environments in Kansas and Nebraska, much, much different <laughs> than in the high desert, right around around Las Cruces, New Mexico. So just our production systems were so vastly different. Sure. That was a really great experience for us. Then opportunity to come back again closer to uh, to family and a position at Oklahoma State opened up that if I could have written my job description right out of school, <laughs> that would have that would have been it. And so uh, about a, a 70% research position in, in uh, ruminant nutrition, which is where I was trained. Okay. Um, and uh, 25% teaching, which is really a good fit. Mm-hmm. And so took the opportunity and, and went back to, to Oklahoma State. So um, there 17 years and just had a super, super career. Oh, wow. Uh, at Oklahoma okay. State. Trained a lot of graduate students. Trained a lot of graduate students from Texas Tech mm-hmm. or from West Texas, this area. Um, learned a lot about values from, from this area with regard to work ethic. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, students being very polite and courteous and, and yet very intelligent and willing to get things done. And, and so really good exposure to the students from Texas Tech University and from this area, which links into to the interest ultimately in, in the position that I'm currently in. So, yeah. Um, 
so that was a great experience. Worked a lot with the veterinary school. Learned to understand uh, more of the system stop process with regard to you know what we do in in a feedlot scenario mm-hmm. for cattle. Right, everything that happened prior to that impacts what you're doing subsequent through all the way through the, the quality of the product that the consumer sees on their plate. And yeah. So, um, really, really developed an appreciation for systems thinking. Really goes back to to my PhD program and exposure to a faculty member named Terry Klopfenstein, who was uh, just a tremendous, tremendous individual with uh, with a mind for again thinking holistically with regard to, to how things really start in the soil mm-hmm. uh, and end up on the plate, but how everything is inter- interconnected. Uh, and it's very difficult to truly understand systems by just staying isolated in a silo in, in one specific field. And so right. that was that was very informative to me. Um, then an opportunity to go back to Nebraska to lead the Department of Animal Science and got a call one day indicating the department head was going to retire and Asked if I was interested. Again, it goes back to networking. Mm-hmm. And had served on uh, the uh, board of directors in the American Society of Animal Science with the then chancellor named Ronnie Green, who, by the way, was a faculty member here at Tech for a period of time. Okay. And uh, invited me to apply and took advantage of that and got the offer. And so it was really fun to be back in the department where I got my PhD for a period of time. And again, then connections here, and, and this opportunity opened up, and that's uh, that's kind of my journey. Yeah, I I will say that um, I, I've never really sought out leadership hmm. opportunities. I mean, it's, it's not like I'm looking for the next thing, <laughs> and I never have been. Right, I've always tried to just be the best I could be in in the position that I was blessed to be holding at the time. But you know, really think back through that a lot. And try to get students to think back through that as well. Mm-hmm. So even even in high school, Mountain Ridge small school graduated with thirty eight, you, you know, yeah, other students. Um, but just an opportunity to kind of dip your toes in in all waters. So was mm-hmm. uh, involved in FFA, four uh, H first uh, was in, was involved in student council, was involved in music and theater. And, and high school sports and and uh, was just given opportunities to lead even even at that level and uh, and then all the way all the way through college and so doors opened up and I yeah. took the opportunity to consider those opportunities and, and step into those leadership positions and been uh, been very fortunate to be invited to, uh, to to participate in those opportunities but then also try to take advantage of the opportunity and do the best job that I could do. So. Sure. And I think that's, that's such an important message for, you know, our students and just anyone to hear really that I, I like what you said about not necessarily looking for the next thing, but just, you know, in whatever position you're in, what, whatever that is, just, just doing your best. Absolutely. And, and how that leads to so much or it can lead to so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great message as well, Vikram, for our students that, you know, we're, we're kind of in a uh, new generation and, and, and maybe we, we've always been this way to a certain extent where 
we kind of expect to go from ground zero to the top mm-hmm. immediately. And the reality is you'll, you'll go farther faster if you just do the very best in the position you're currently in. And then again, those doors will ultimately open up for you and you'll be able to make those, those advances if it's right. For sure. And, you know, and I look back in my own career too, which I mean, is not quite as expansive as yours has been. I mean, you've done a little bit of everything, but I look at, you know, getting out of grad school when I, so when I finished my master's in 20, oh goodness, 12, um, you know, I was, my, my wife had just gotten a job here in Lubbock and she uh, like loved it and we didn't want to leave. And so I was looking for jobs and it was, it was kind of a struggle at the time. Um, but my background's in landscaping. My undergrad was in landscape design. So I said, well, I know how to do that. So I mm-hmm. ran a late landscape company for a couple of years and, you know, dug holes for a living. And, uh-huh. yeah. uh, you know, at the time that was a little bit like, it, it's not what I saw myself doing, getting out with a master's degree. Right. Like sure. I had, sure. But I then, you know, I worked for extension for about four years as a county agent, and that was sort of a, a nice work into that. I did landscape stuff with clientele, and then mm-hmm. that prepared me for this job. And it's interesting being able to look back, you know, and you don't know at the time, but with the, I guess, the clarity of looking back at the past, like, oh, no, that did prepare me for my next step. That, sure. You know, if you make the most of whatever you're in, like, Someday you'll look back and say, oh, no, that was worth doing. It was worth the time I spent. Great point. Yeah, absolutely right. So that's, no, that's really, really great. Um, So a couple of things I was hoping to discuss today. And so normally, uh, you know, we'll talk for a few minutes and then kind of go a quick break and then uh, come back at the end. So I, I was hoping to talk next sort of about, you know, your new role as um, uh, dean of the college. I mean, that's that's a lot of, a lot of plates to keep spinning, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I go back to think about what, what prepared you for the next step and in, in your career and kind of what got you to where you're at, what got me to where I'm at. Um, and, and I, I go back, really go back to my upbringing and, you know, my, my parents, great people, uh, were, were excellent at, uh, wanting to put others first and they always demonstrated that they did a great job of demonstrating that to me. And, and so, uh, just, uh, just a lot of love and a, and a lot of respect and love for others. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the diversity as well with regard to, you know, growing up on a diversified farm. So we had a garden. Mm-hmm. So what, what you do and you're passionate about, um, when we lived in Nebraska the first time, uh, Shelly and I, my wife and I, you know, really, really, Carried that tradition on. Loved, yeah, love the garden. Would love to get into that again. So I need to visit with you. Oh, and, for sure. <laughs> probably can have you consult for me or uh, about how we get that going again in in this climate and, and environment and soil type, et cetera, which it, which feels a little a, different. Yeah, it is a unique challenge around yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> so would, yeah, would would look forward to that opportunity. Um, but then the different livestock species, and and so we had a dairy for a while, and we had we had swine, we had sheep, we had cattle, and so had horses. Um, so just really grounded in agriculture. Mm-hmm. And then the education piece was never, you know, my parents never pushed, but uh, you know, my mom certainly loved and appreciated and saw the value in it and was 
once I got rolling, they were always very, very supportive mm-hmm. of, of what I was doing. So I, I try to emulate that and, and carry that through. I think, you know, being a successful faculty member, you, you work with a lot of undergraduate students, mm-hmm. you're teaching and graduate students. And there's no doubt in my mind, Vikram, that you're you're passionate about seeing them succeed, mm-hmm. uh, coming out with the, uh, the, the skill set that they need, both soft skills and, and hard skills to be very effective in careers and, and develop those careers. So, you know, kind of go from, from graduate student and, and that mentality and, and undergraduate student, obviously, as well. And uh, thinking about, you know, what, what can I transfer from myself to them today that's right. going to help them be more successful when, when they get out and into their careers? I was very fortunate on the graduate student front to, to have a lot of students that were a lot smarter. Than I, <laughs> I think that's I think that's key to success. I, I tell young faculty that all the time. You know, hire and find really really good graduate students mm-hmm. that, that want to learn, desire to learn, and have great work ethic, and it'll it'll take you a long way. And and of course, if they have the writing skills and can do sure. math, <laughs> yeah, that's that helps, that's that important too. <laughs> that helps as well. But but that's that stuff. If they're passionate about learning, they can become better at those skills. Yeah, uh, along the way for sure. So then, from faculty member training graduate students to department head, just really just really think about that at a broader, different scale. Where now you have faculty across the ranks that mm-hmm. you want to be successful. And if those faculty members are successful, your department is successful. And now I get to think about that at the college level. Right. And and each department and our department chairs and all their faculty. Uh, so I, I think, you know, helping, uh, kicking stones out of the way and making sure faculty, department chairs and faculty have what they need to the best of my ability to be successful but also setting a vision with regard mm-hmm. to, you know, what what are our clientele needs all the way from students, but then farmers, ranchers, horticulturists, all the industries that we serve uh, in Davis College. What do they need uh, now, but also what will they need in the future? Mm-hmm. And what, what do we need to be doing to prepare uh to be out in front leading and not following from a technology standpoint, from agronomic practices here in Lubbock water is yeah. just so critically important. Uh, probably the most important issue that, that we'll deal with here. Absolutely. Um, and then, and then thinking about, you know, determining those best management practices, what science can we develop that, that helps us holistically again, solve those problems but then scaling that beyond this region to, you know, what what parts of the world can we truly impact with mm-hmm. the work that we're doing here? Uh, certainly from a science perspective, you think about science and cutting edge research, uh, again, thinking about what's needed now, what's needed in the future, training students then as a workforce across the spectrum to, to ultimately meet that demand mm-hmm. and, and go out with the ability to think and the ability to create uh, and then hopefully an inspired work ethic and and desire and passion to want to make a difference for agriculture uh, in the world. Uh, and then the outreach component of that is, you know, how do we tell our story to our clientele so right. that they're getting the information so they can implement that into their into their own operations? Uh, again, hopefully with the t- 
to provide the tools that they need to, to be successful. Cause I mean, the world, the population is, and we talk about it all the time mm-hmm. is growing. It, it's real. You can look at those growth oh, curves and we are in an exponential growth curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so 10 billion people and there's no more land being created, right? right? Uh, the natural resources we have are the natural resources we have. So Thinking about conserving those and using those in a way that's going to meet consumer need and demand in the future is something I'm passionate about, and, and I wake up thinking about every day. So. Well, and that's great. And you, and, you know, you talk about challenges we face in water and, and food supply, and, you know, those are the things that I think about, too. Most of my career has been in studying water, and mm-hmm. now we're doing, you know, controlled environment agriculture, we mean hydroponics and uh, aeroponics and all the different, you know, ways that we can – uh, I don't know, say uh, supplement and help traditional agricultural systems like take some of the burden off so that we can, you know, I think equitably and fairly kind of feed all the people we're going to need to feed. Absolutely, and that's, yeah. it's a big challenge. It is. It is. Yeah. But I do think in, in, you know, agriculture, that's where the future is. And um, you said being more conservative and everything else. And another, another point you made that I think is really, key and it's the reason I do this and it's maybe it's the extension in me you know, uh-huh, left yeah. over but I, I love what you talk about of you know we we do great science this is one of the best agricultural uh colleges in the world and mm-hmm. you know I think that the idea that we take these things that we uh all the science we do all the knowledge we gain and now we're trying to figure out how do we give that back to the the like you said the clientele the the growers, the farmers, the people on the ground doing the work, like closing that feedback loop is something that I think is super important. You know, because that, that is a challenge for a lot of academics. A lot of people in the sciences is one, not everyone has been trained or, or necessarily has the just desire even to go out and put their face on the internet all the time sure. or like, you know, yeah. do interviews and all that. But um, do you see that part of it, the outreach and communication part of it becoming bigger? Is that something that you think we're going to be doing more of at the college level going forward? Yeah, I, I think it's it's critically important. And obviously we have scientists that are very, very good, benchtop mm-hmm. people. Um, they're brilliant. Um, and they're doing discovery level research. But, but, we need to we need to bridge a gap then from from that level, which which is important. And I would love for all of us to to think more and and maybe maybe as we do the storytelling, we can even get those really brilliant benchtop folks uh, to really think how and, and and I'm sure many of them do. Mm-hmm. You know, how how does this truly translate to something bigger than what I'm doing right here that results in a in a grant application and a publication, right? Mm-hmm. How is this really going to transform what our producers are doing out in the field um, to be able to conserve water, to improve water use efficiency, mm-hmm. to increase yields, all of those things that, that we think about on the both plant and the animal side. Um, so I, I think I think storytelling in such a way, uh, and, and that's what you're doing, and you do a great job. Oh, I appreciate it. that. Yeah, um, you know, thinking about this is the impact of of what we're doing or attempting to do here in, in the Davis College of Agricultural Sciences and Natural Resources. Um, is this very fundamental stuff scales up to this, and we translate it 
in ways that impacts uh, agriculture and natural resources to ultimately uh, increase sustainability for feeding a, a growing world, growing population. So. Oh, I think that's great. And I think, you know, when we talk about that, one of the more challenging things I, I think in science and I think with what we do is measuring impact. I think that that's like there, there, you know, we see the results, we see the statistics, we see all that, but then that measuring impact pieces, at least for me, at least in my career, for a long time was very challenging. But then I think, you know, the way you talk about it of we take these, this benchtop science and then when we see, oh, now they can produce 20% more on 50% less water. Mm-hmm. That's real world manageable impact that improves people's lives, keeps people healthier, uh, keeps the planet more stable, like all of those things. That's, that is a tangible impact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's what's, ex- that's what's exciting about being a scientist is, you know, ultimately, yeah, we, we love, I love to write a paper and, and see myself and a list of co-authors in print. But ultimately, the impact has to be beyond that uh, in terms of your, to your very point, right? Ultimately, how can someone pick this piece up, apply it in a way that makes their operation better? And, and again, thinking even more globally uh, from sustainability staining uh, agriculture and food production mm-hmm. on our natural resources. No, that's really interesting. I, I, I love that, that whole just line of thinking, I think, because uh, I think as we get better at measuring impact, as we get better at defining what success looks like in these fields going forward, we really hone in on, you know, what matters, what's important and where we should put our time and our resources and our energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, we'll take, uh, this is a good time. We'll take a quick break. Um, and then when we come back from the break, I want to talk a little bit about some of these intersections between, uh, plant science and animal science and how like, you know, interconnected those things are. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, Hey there, welcome to the mid roll. Glad you're still here and glad you're sticking around and I hope you're enjoying the episode. Uh, if you want to follow along for all things Planthropology, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I am at Planthropology or some combination or some form thereof. Look for the green background with the bristlecone pine and that'll be me. You can also find me on the TikTok machine. I am at the Plant Prof. Uh, you can also get me on Twitter at the Plant Prof as well. Uh, thanks so much to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science and the Davis College of Agricultural Science and Natural Resources for supporting the show, for being a part of it. Uh, if I say that every episode, but if you ever needed evidence of how much they support me and how much they support Planthropology, just this episode should be a perfect example of that. Thanks also to the Podfix Network for letting me be a part of it and hang out and uh, bring some nerdy plantness to the mix. Uh, if you want to support the show, there's a lot of ways you can do it. The biggest thing is just tell a friend. If you love plants, if you love Planthropology, and if you've got a friend who either loves plants or who you think should love plants, tell them about the show. Send them a link. It's the best way to help the show grow. Also, if you could leave me a rating and review wherever you can on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or uh, Podchaser or wherever else you're listening, it would mean the world. It gives me the warm fuzzies. And just remember, I wear a size five-star review in pink, ideally. Also, uh, if you want to financially support the show, you can go to planthropologypod.com and click on merch and buy a sticker or a hat or a t-shirt or some other 
fun things. I have a friend that's working on some designs for me, so we'll have some new artwork up soon. You can also keep myself and my staff here at the Texas Tech University Greenhouse well caffeinated by going to buymeacoffee.com slash planthropology. And for the price of some coffee, you can literally buy us some coffee because that's exactly where that money goes. Also, on a personal note, and I've talked about this before, and I don't know when you're listening to this, but I have my first book coming out on July 11th, 2023. It's called Plants to the Rescue. It is a nonfiction children's book about climate change and pollution and how plant science and plants themselves can help us solve those problems. It's fun. It's aimed at 8 to 12-year-olds, and I am just so proud of it. Uh, Our illustrator, Brian Lambert was just fantastic. Uh, the publisher, Neon Squid, was wonderful to work with. So you can head to the Neon Squid website or your favorite bookseller to pre-order a copy of Plants to the Rescue. It's, I believe, $17.99, and uh, it'll be out July 11th, and I cannot wait for you to see it. But for now, let's talk more about academia. Let's talk about science and a little bit more about the intersection between animal science and plants. Okay, we are back. Um, I enjoyed that discussion a lot in the first half about just sort of the, I think, the the high-level challenges, the the things that get us where we're going. But I want to talk a little bit about subject matter because, again, I, I am at heart a scientist and communicator, and I like learning about – so I'm, I'm, you know, admittedly very much not an animal. <laughs> you know, I know a, enough to probably say something dumb. About animal science. <laughs> I, I can say the same thing about vegetables. So, yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to get your take a little bit on just sort of the relationship between um, plant science, whether it's anything from horticulture to forages and, and just agronomy in general, and um, the animal science side. Because, you know, you mentioned that you a lot of your work is in animal nutrition. So, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know exactly the right way to maybe ask the question that's in my head, but... Um, how big are the impact? Let me, let me ask it this way. You know, we do a lot in plant science to improve plant quality, plant nutrition, um, grow more with less, all of the stuff that we've been talking about. How big of an impact does that have on the other side of it, on the animal science side of it? Yeah. You know, we, we need to continue. And I, th- I think we're, we're seeing movement towards uh, integration and creating systems and thinking outside of our silos and our, in our boxes, I truly think that the, the grand challenges that agriculture is facing that we talked about earlier uh, is ultimately going to demand that we bring experts from several fields together to think more holistically about these issues to, to solve those problems. So, and again, Terry, Terry Klopfenstein's deceased, but was a PhD a scientist at the University of Nebraska, great mentor and teacher and friend. Um, he really got me thinking in this more holistic systems kind of thought process. And and one of the first papers that I published when I was on the faculty at New Mexico State was around how to very extensive grazing systems where, you know, you're you're in the high desert and you have an animal unit per hundred to a thousand acres mm-hmm. uh, versus having uh, animals on improved forages. Obviously, that impacts growth rate of, of the animal. Um, we could also think about it impacting water use mm-hmm. in, in, in terms of those two different environments. But then when you bring those animals together into a growth phase and into a finishing phase, Ultimately, you know, you're impacting subsequent growth 
and and then carcass quality, carcass merit, and then relative to to eating quality and all those characteristics uh, from a new human nutrition perspective hmm. that, that might impact the consumer. So, you know, it, it all really starts in the soil and soil mm-hmm. health. If you you know if you think about it, so whether we're growing native rangelands or improved forages, uh, cover crops or row crops or vegetables. You know, I think uh, it's, it's really cool that we're starting to understand soils better and the microbiome that exists throughout the entire spectrum. And so how the microbiome goes from soil to, to plant to animal to human and how how the microbiome impacts health of that entire system. But think of soil health and, and water holding capacity and the mm-hmm. ability of those soils to hold nutrients that impacts plant growth. Obviously, Plants capture carbon, which is mm-hmm. critically important to to us. Uh, always has been, but we think about increased CO two concentrations in the atmosphere now. Doing things that increase the ability of those soils to capture that carbon hmm. and these plants to capture the carbon critically important. Um, you know, I think about the house we just purchased here on an acre lot where I'm growing Bermuda grass. So that's another reason why I want to talk to you. I'm not, I'm not sure that's, you know, that's the best use of water. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, I guess an acre of grass produces enough oxygen. What for about, I looked it up not long ago, like 64 people. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like it's not contributing, but, but again, the water efficiency, I think, or use efficiency is, is probably the, maybe the concern there for here, but, but anyhow, so thinking about how the soil characteristics implant, impact plant growth, uh, whether we're just on native grass species uh, and, and uh, the diversity of, of the rangeland versus a monoculture of improved forage, ultimately that, in, that quality of that forage impacts ruminant growth, mm-hmm. um, nutrient density and energy values. And so how then we supplement uh, other nutrients to those animals to meet requirements from cereal grains or from protein sources. Um, it all, it all is, is, it's all intertwined, right? And then you've got a water footprint related to all of that. Yeah. And so then how, how those forage species impact growth and impact the microbiome in the ruminant gut, mm-hmm. uh, but also the, the, the growth of that animal, which impacts again, how fast those animals reach market weight and the uh, the quality of, of those animals relative to carcass composition, mm-hmm. uh, amino acid protein profiles, nutrient profiles wow. of the meat that we consume, right? It's all intertwined. And by the way, those animals that are grazing uh, are excellent upcyclers because a ruminant animal can take a really low-quality winter forage yeah. because of the microbiome that exists in the rumen and the fermentation that exists there. Right, they convert those very low density, very low not low density, low energy density, low quality forages into a very high quality, very palatable hmm. protein source, food source for for human consumption. So they're the true upcyclers, uh, and 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 they're stimulating then because of the effluent that that they yeah. are distributing naturally across the rangeland or across the improved forage. Uh, nutrients back to the soil, back to the plant. And so you've got this continuous nutrient cycling that that's occurring in our natural agricultural systems, of course, that have existed for 
for a long, long time. Sure. So it's it's all it's all related, but I think we need to we need to measure the true impact of each of those phases and then holistically uh, to be able to tell the story, mm-hmm. you know, about what the what the true, you know, obviously there's there's uh, going to be room for improvement, but there's also a lot of great things that occur in agricultural systems, sure. and, and we're not we're not capturing that information or or telling that story. Hmm. So part of your storytelling piece, right, is a huge opportunity for us as well. Well, I think that's that's great too because you know we, I, I I think a lot of both agriculturists and scientists and. We get it in our heads sometimes that no, I just I just need to do the work and I'll do the work and you know we improve the pastures, we improve the prairies, and mm-hmm. I think people don't realize the impact, the positive impacts of large herbivores on on prairie ecosystems mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. complex these ecosystems are, yeah. and and then as you know populations of large herbivores dropped over time, we're replacing those nutrients, mm-hmm. we're doing a lot mm-hmm. to restore prairie ecosystems, which are. You know, incredibly important in terms of climate change and and uh, ecological balancing and all these things. Absolutely, but, yep. but we yeah, and like you say though, we do the work, and sometimes that's all we do. Like you know, we do the work right. and then don't tell the story. Right, and I think that right. that's yeah, yeah, uh, a key part of it. And you know, as much as agriculture at times has had a PR problem, I, I think that the what, what's encouraging to me is the more people in the industry I meet, whether academics or or uh, again, the growers, the the ranchers, everyone else. It's no, we're trying to improve things. We, mm. we want the world to be better. We want these ecosystems Ab- to be better. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And and again, see the value in it because we're a service industry. Yeah, right. I mean, we we exist. Yeah, the think about the three pillars of sustainability. You know, economics is important. Uh, and and so is very much so the environment, mm-hmm. and and we understand that if we don't take care of our natural resources, they're not going to exist for the right. next generation. But the societal piece is also critically important. So where those three pillars intersect uh, is re- really where we need to be be working. And, and the societal issues again is is telling the story, but telling it with science, mm-hmm. you know, truth through data, mm-hmm. um, and. And again, we're we're all get emotional about things. I'm getting emotional because I'm passionate about agriculture. But um, I, I think a greater understanding and dialogue is is very valuable because we are a service industry and we exist to feed the planet. Mm-hmm. And we and, and we realize right if we don't take care of what we've been given to take care of, it's not going to be there for the next generation. Right. That's uh, so important. Um, so as we sort of, you know, start to work towards the end of this a little bit, you know, that I have a lot bouncing around in my head and, and at some point, if you're willing, I'd love to have you back on to talk more in detail about some of these, these, uh, uh science parts of this a little sure, bit, but I had sure. a couple of questions I wanted to, to end with, um, you know, as you, uh, sort of start your career here as Texas tech and kind of take the reins of this, uh, of the Davis college, um, and, you know, see all of these moving parts from landscape architecture to animal science and NRM and um, plant science and everyone else involved. Uh, you know, we have a a big, diverse college. If there was, and I, I don't know, how, like you'll accomplish a lot of things here and will you keep moving forward. But if there was one thing that like you would love to accomplish here while you're here, what would that thing be? 
Yeah, I mean, so there's there's a lot of things that I can think of that are more material in nature, sure. right? Which like a, like a new building and an interactive space mm-hmm. for all of the departments to come together and our students to come together uh, and have collaborative conversations and and uh, really integrate and know each other and, and again have these conversations that ultimately build up uh, the entire college. Uh, but but again, that that building. Very hopeful it will come, but mm-hmm. again, that's a, that's a materialistic thing. I, I think uh, just from a true impact perspective, um, you know, I, I would like to uh, think that in that in ten years we've really moved strongly and largely toward water security for mm-hmm. this region. So that means greater understanding of how our agricultural agronomic practices. Uh, both on the animal and the plant side are, are impacting that water footprint mm-hmm. and that we at least have uh, a greater understanding or a plan in place of, of how we're going to uh, recharge uh, the Ogallala Aquifer mm-hmm. um, uh, or at least continue to keep it charged as well as a lot of our wells in the areas that were Absolutely. once irrigated, right, that are now dry land and when it doesn't rain, obviously not producing right. uh, very much. Um, and, and then I think uh, a strong sense from our stakeholders um, that our agricultural systems uh, are sustainable mm-hmm. for the next generation. So that's rangeland ecosystems. Um, that's our row crops, cotton, obviously a big one here. Absolutely. Milo, cover crops, how those things interplay again to, to advance and enhance the sustainability uh, and then our our animal systems that that are sustainable uh, over time, I think, uh, is a huge opportunity for us. I'd love, and I think this already occurs. So I need to sustain this, but then also think collectively how we grow it uh, for our students to be known as career ready, uh, right? To come out very very prepared for again not just going to work, but really thinking thinking big mm-hmm. outside the box and and how they can impact and contribute to impacting the advancement of, of agriculture. I think the other opportunity for us, Vikram, and real need uh, is um, a, a greater appreciation between urban and rural communities mm-hmm. and how we need to come together uh, and think about, yeah, we do these agricultural practice, practices in rural areas and they're sustainable, but what are we doing uh, in urban environments to the things that you love the, and are passionate right. about, certainly water conservation on, at the urban level, but but also, right, how can we grow food in these food deserts and these right. large communities right there within the city limits uh, to help provide highly nutritious uh, vegetables, um, a little harder to think about animals there or, or animal sure. protein sources, but certainly the opportunities exist, and there's right. examples throughout the world where that's where that's occurring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think that's a huge opportunity for us. But I think what that does uh, is it, it rebuilds some trust that I believe has been lost mm. in, in our narrative because there are so many generations have been removed from working on these ag landscapes. Yeah, and. Uh, and so I think getting students engaged and getting them engaged earlier uh, in their learning 
with the great opportunities that exist in agriculture and STEM in agriculture is a, is a huge opportunity for her. So I bounced around a little bit. There. No, no, but I, but, no, but I think that's a great answer. Um, because it, you know, and, and it's funny because I like to ask people like what one thing, but at the same time, it's not, I think that's a good illustration that it's never quite that simple, mm-hmm, right? Like mm-hmm, science yeah. and society and the intersection of the two is complicated. And I think it should be mm-hmm, like, I think it's mm-hmm. necessarily complicated. Sure. Um, we shouldn't necessarily be able to distill everything we do and all of our goals into like a singular point, right? There's a lot to it. We're right. complicated people. And right. Yeah. It's complicated yeah. science. No, I think that's a great answer. Um, and the last thing I ask all of my guests um, is whether it's about careers or life or agriculture, anything in between, whatever you think is important. If you could leave our uh, listeners, whether they be uh, industry folks or potential students or current students or anyone else, if you could leave just like one piece of advice for them, something that they can take away from our, our conversation today or just from your experience, what, what would that be? What would be the one piece of advice you'd like to give? Yeah. So I'm I'm actually gonna gonna borrow this from a mentor, pre from a from a not former mentor, current mentor, uh, but someone who's influenced me. Um, that I mentioned the name earlier and has spent some time here at Tech actually. But um, I think 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 big, right? Don't don't box yourself in and and believe you can't do something. Think big and believe in yourself because again, if a if a small town rural you know, raised on dirt student from central <laughs> Kansas, uh, can be a Dean, right. Mm-hmm. Then, then there's just so much opportunity. Uh, and so I, I'd love for people, whether, whether, wherever they're listening or they're students or not students, we're all students sure. or just at, at different stages in life, right. right. To, to think big. And if you're going to think big, what follows that is working hard. I think the work ethic is so critically important. There needs to be work-life balance, sure. certainly, but but do something that you're passionate about so that it never feels like you're at work, right? Uh, even when you are. Uh, and then and then humility goes a long way. So the third thing would be stay humble. So mm-hmm. yeah, think big, work hard, stay humble. I think will carry you uh, a long way carry each of us a long way uh, through this life. We're, we're in this weird stage uh, in the world and in our politics where we don't have a lot of civil discourse. Mm-hmm. I would love for, going, kind of going back to the previous question, Texas Tech to be a place where civil discourse can occur, where we can have conversations about things that we may be on total opposite extremes about. Sure. But we can still respect each other, uh, shake hands and, and walk away, either agreeing to disagree or appreciating and understanding a little bit more about, about the other's point of view. Sure. No, I think that's great. I think it's great advice that, uh, you know, again, there's, I, I love, I love dreaming big. I've always been a dreamer. And I think that that's something maybe we don't tell people enough that you're allowed to dream big and mm-hmm. that you can work towards those things. And even if the, like, the, the route is complicated to get there. Like, and even if there doesn't look exactly like you thought it would, like you can still achieve those big things. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Uh, well, Dr. Crable, I appreciate your time. It was, I, I know you're super busy and just, uh, I appreciate you giving your time for this. Um, are there places people can find you? Uh, you know, I don't know how much social media you do or how much you want to be out there. I know 
it's exhausting. <laughs> but <laughs> but where can people find you if you? Yeah, so I, I haven't strayed far from my name. So it, basically, on any social media platform, you can just uh, type in Clinton Crable. You'll probably find me. So uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Okay, uh, I'm I'm there. Not not overly active, but I love to keep watch. Sure, uh, and and hopefully support and. Uh, influence well not influence but but motivate others and give them a sense of security and, sure. and pride in, in what they're doing so i do i do try to keep up with it in that regard also i have three daughters so <laughs> 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 I have to, I have to stay keep up with them as well sure um but then at my email is clint.crable at ttu.edu and uh so please feel free to, to email me at any time i uh, would love to have conversations um, open, basically, I have an open door policy, and so just just reach out, and we'll schedule a time for lunch or coffee, or if you want to have an email conversation. I don't type very fast, but, <laughs> uh, but happy to give you uh, give you a phone call and, and talk. So. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that, and I know that uh, this was a really interesting one for me because it's, and I think it'll be interesting for the listeners too because it is. Uh, I think it, it discusses well the breadth of what we do in agriculture and food production. But uh, thanks again for coming by. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Y'all, thanks so much for listening and being a part of this. And a huge thanks once again to Dr. Clint Crable for uh, giving up some of his time to come talk to me and for sharing his experience and his expertise. I am excited to have him as our dean and just to be a part of what he sees to build here at Texas Tech. I uh, have loved this job for a long time, and it's cool just finding um, maybe people who have uh, likewise intentions or similar intentions about uh, communicating science and doing better science. Thanks again to you so much for listening and to Texas Tech for being supportive of this and to the Podfix Network for letting me again hang out uh we will have more planthropology coming soon um i hope you are well i hope you're staying safe i hope you're staying healthy uh be kind to one another if you have not so far been kind to one another maybe give that a shot it's kind of cool it makes all of us a lot better uh and keep being very cool plant people and we will talk real soon You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.